Hello, hello, and welcome to the Risk and Reward podcast, where the best in the insurance industry come to motivate and educate future leaders in insurance. I'm Claire Richardson, a senior studying risk management and insurance at the wonderful Butler University, where I'm also president of the Beta Lambda chapter of Gamma Iota Sigma. Today, I am joined by Roddy Graham, Matt Jarrett, and Dan Haywood with Thompson Heath and Bond out of London. Roddy has been in the insurance industry for 35 years, working with worldwide clients. He's also a member of the Royal Company of Archers, which is the Queen's bodyguard for Scotland. Matt has been with THB for multiple years and established the casualty division. Dan has been with THB for four years and has built a wealth of knowledge in the employment practices liability and sexual molestation liability areas. All three of our wonderful guests work for THB Group, which is a specialist international insurance broking and risk management group, placing over $1 billion into the Lloyds of London market. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So today we will start and I will ask you guys about how you got into insurance and what is your current job title at THB. So this is Roddy Graham. Um, I am a member of the leadership team uh, at THB uh, with some oversight across all the business. Uh, but my day-to-day job is as managing director of our financial lines group. I got into insurance in a funny kind of way, really, uh, in, in the 1980s. Um, as a teenager, I was diagnosed with asthma, and my what I really wanted to do was to follow my father uh, into the British Army, and he was a general in a Scottish regiment, and that appealed to me greatly. But sadly, the diagnosis of exercise-induced asthma meant that I had to look for something else, and he very simply said, go and see what my brother does in London. He does something in the insurance world. So when I was 16, I went for a day and visited Lloyd's of London and immediately fell in love with the place. So when I was 18, I applied for jobs uh, and perhaps unsurprisingly was recruited by my uncle's firm, which was the largest privately owned insurance broker in the UK at that time. Dan Hayward here. So my career started uh, in insurance four and a bit years ago. I kind of kind of fell into into insurance. I, I studied accountancy at college, and when college finished, uh, tasked with finding myself a job and, and paying for my own way in life, uh, as everyone has to. And it's a harsh life lesson. So went to London with a number of CVs laminated because it was a rainy day, and and knocked with with my hat in hand with the various companies trying to get a conversation, let alone an interview with accountancy firms. Uh, lo and behold, it, no, no one answered. Uh, no one wanted to know and no one would give me the time of day. So at the time, I, I went through various various job roles uh, with different recruitment companies and, and, and no one would take me. So a cousin of mine, a girlfriend at the time, was working for a Lloyd syndicate called Atrium. And uh, Atrium's E&O uh, team, and our E&O team that's run by Roddy, a broker called Matt Glasgow that works for, for Roddy Graham, uh, happened to know my cousin's girlfriend, and Stevie's were, were passed through hands, and uh, the rest is history, they say. I this is Matt Jarrett, right? And I'm the only London broker on here that doesn't have a posh English ac- accent, 
A little background on me. I got in the insurance business because I was the world's worst professional golfer. I tried to play professional golf after college. Couldn't make that lifestyle work. And uh, ending up giving golf lessons and instruction to a chief underwriting officer of an insurance company and one of the largest wholesale brokers in the uh, excess and surplus lines industry. And both of them ended up offering me a job at their firm. And uh, that was 16 or so years ago. And I've had a, uh, an illustrious career so far, just uh, taking my golf clubs around and learning how to do insurance. So it's been a, uh, it's been a good ride and uh, have some background on both the underwriting, the domestic U.S. broking and uh, the international broking in Lloyd's. It's good to hear you really golfed your way into insurance, quite literally. So, <laughs> would you be able to tell us about what drew you to the role of brokerage post-golf life and what personality traits or motivations are important to have as a broker? Good question, right? So, as a, as a broker, right, um, you have to be able to have some personality is the first thing, right? Um, you've got to be able to understand relationships because you're always going to have to deal with so many different people and different types of people and personality, right, in this industry. So that's one of the key things is, is being able to, uh, to, being, to adapt, right, and, uh, and being able to understand different perspectives and point of views from uh, the people that you'll work with across the entire indus- insurance industry and risk management profession. So I would say that's it, right, being able to, to interact with people and get along with people understand people right and then and then use your intelligence and your wits to provide some value to the insurance transaction that happens yeah absolutely thank you for that so roddy would you please be able to explain lloyds of london to our listeners and what being a broker means there and some of the risks that might go through the market sure Lloyds of London, first of all, important to know that it is not a, a single insurance company. It is actually a collection of lots of small insurers uh, that we call syndicates. And so it's really a marketplace as opposed to a single insurance company. Um, the syndicates all have separate uh, shareholders and investors, and they all have their own separate appetite. Uh, for risks, and they also purchase their own separate reinsurance protections, depending on the, the type of business that they specialize in. So think of Lloyd's as an insurance market, not as a single entity, and then you'll have a, a better feel for it. Lloyd's has one overarching umbrella in that there is a disaster fund called the Lloyd's Central Fund. And if one of the syndicates becomes financially troubled and it can't meet its claims payments, then the Central Fund picks up any shortfall. The Central Fund gets its money each year by a levy that every syndicate has to pay. It's a small percentage of the premiums that they receive each year. And so, in a funny kind of way, it it almost mutualizes the risk, um, you know, in in case of a disaster. But in the first instance, they are all competing different syndicates. 
And it's very important, if you're going to understand Lloyd's, um, that you spend a bit of time looking at the Lloyd's website and trying to familiarize yourself with some of these terms um, and do your best to try and understand the concept of the central fund because that is a unique aspect of the market. In order to do business in Lloyd's, you have to be a Lloyd's broker. Or if you are an American broker and you want to access Lloyd's, you have to go to a Lloyd's broker in order to access the market. So it is somewhat of a closed shop because it's a very specialist market um, that demands quite high standards of knowledge of risk and of policy forms. And um, so the sort of things that we we get um, are, you know, probably best described by MJ's great comment. He always says, well, it's the three C's. And the three C's are the risks that come into London are either complex, so they're hard to understand, and therefore local markets struggle to underwrite them. They may be very large risks, and so the local markets don't have the capacity. So capacity is the second C. And people come to Lloyd's of London to get additional capacity because they can't find enough insurance capacity in their local market. And the third, and you'll have to forgive my French here, but the third C is crap. And really what that means is risks that have had a very poor claims experience and the local insurance markets are no longer willing to underwrite them. And Lloyd's is a place that is willing to take on risk that perhaps other people wouldn't. And so we do get a lot of distressed business as, as well. So I think that really sums it up. We're not a standard marketplace. We don't compete for what we would call vanilla regular business. We're there to help to provide capacity to deal with complex risks or to deal with financially distressed or claims distressed risks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Good job. Thank you. Additionally, Roddy, would you please be able to describe the state of the market and what line of business you see hardening the most and and kind of why that is? Sure. So it's very important for uh, any young people listening to understand the cyclical nature of the insurance industry. And the, the, the insurance market in the whole world operates on a cycle. And when I came into insurance in the mid-80s, we had what was called a very hard market. Um, a hard market, some of you may know, but um, what it means is that there is a shortage of capacity, and that in turn drives pricing up. And then in about 1988, I saw my first premium reductions on renewals, and the pricing softened, as we call it, because more people were attracted into the business because pricing, remember, had gone very high. But as more people came in and more capacity came into the industry, 
the pricing softened and dropped. And that carried on until 2001 with prices dropping. And in the last uh, quarter of 2001, we had the very sad events of 9-11. And just as an aside, I, I happened to be in a plane from Boston to LaGuardia that very morning um, and saw the second explosion from the air. But that very sad event was a trigger towards the next hard market in my career. And once again, there was a shortage of capacity. Pricing increased alarmingly, and we had another hard market. And that hard market lasted from about 2001 to 2004, five, And then we had a softening of pricing again. And prices dropped for the next 14 or 15 years. And what you're seeing now is another hardening of the market. It started really in 2019. Um, and it was simple, really. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't just Lloyd's that saw the problems. AIG saw the problems. Lots of major insurers saw the same problems. And it, and it was just that too many risks had been underpriced for the previous decade. And there were just too many lines of business, too many classes of business that were not profitable and underwriters were losing money. There were a few hurricanes that uh, have, have you know, nudged the loss ratios um, to even worse positions. But it was really the pricing deterioration of the previous 10 to 15 years that did the most damage. And so we are now back in a situation where People are withdrawing from lines of business. They're, they're pulling out of certain coverage classes. So we have a shortage of capacity and prices are increasing. The one in my world that is most alarming is directors and officers liability. Yes, there have been record class shareholder class action suits in the last uh, two or three years. But again, it's the deterioration in pricing over the last 10 or 15 years that has caused that book of business to be unprofitable. And so there's a major correction. And we have seen price increases in the last 12 months on that line of coverage between 5 and 500%. That's, that's really alarming, honestly, but good to be looking to the future and understanding understanding how now is going to apply to it. So with yes, that... I think I think if I can add one thing, it's very important for young people to know that, you know, you're in a hard market now, but when you're in a soft market, you often get people saying, oh, it'll never harden again. Well, trust me, it always does. I'm uh, This is my third hard market, and I'm 53. I, I don't think I'll see another one in my working lifetime, but never believe the market will always remain soft. Good point, Rodders, right? But think about it like a, a pendulum on a clock, right? It always has to swing one way and swings back towards the other way at some point. So that's one way you can always think about, you know, the market is, it lives and breathes and it does move and it evolves, right? But it just takes time. And uh, we're definitely now seeing in that pendulum swinging back the other way towards firming and, and, and tightening up of, of coverage, right, in the insurance marketplace. Absolutely. Dan, would you be able to kind of expand on how social inflation and nuclear verdicts impacted the marketplace in the last 12 months, like Roddy was talking about? 
and even further in how you think that increasing rates and tightening coverage in Lloyds would impact the states and vice versa. Yeah, sure. I suppose it, the, the best place to start would be, as already stated, that Lloyds is, is a market for distressed risks. So before you start, you know you know each deal that, that comes to London and if it's classed as a London play, i.e. it's going to be uh, placed here here in London, it's going to have some hair to it. So once in a minute it has some hair to it, you start looking at the price is never going to be cheap. And if previous markets have been burned for, for like claims or similar, sim, similar claims, uh, be prepared for high rate and a contraction in coverage. Uh, and I suppose that's, a, that's the trend throughout the whole market. And as we touched on previously, the Lloyd's markets, if someone's increasing rate, there's not going to be someone that's decreasing rate. It, it, got, it flows together. No one goes against each other. And I suppose it, well, I don't know how I'd lead on to that. I suppose I'd ask, ask for opinions on Roddy and Matt there. Could you, is there anything I could explain that better? No, I don't think so, but I was only half listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did you did good Dan right the thing that I would I would say and to put it into perspective right for especially you know all of the folks and the young folks listening to the call right that are in the US I would say the easiest way to explain it and look at it is is from a nuclear or you know social inflation is you turn on the television in the US and you see all these advertisements for personal injury attorneys right saying, have you been injured in a car accident? Do you have any side effects from taking any prescription drugs, right? There's a there's an opioid crisis, right, going on that we have in the U.S., right? All of these things are really, really major factors to the U.S. economy, to the U.S. population. And, and the insurance companies are trying to provide some risk management techniques around it, but they're just almost getting out of control. And that's been a major factor in some of the changes that we've seen from insurance and the entire insurance marketplace, both, you know, personal lines and commercial lines, right, across the board over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, right? As Roddy said, 2019, beginning of 2019 is when a lot of this really started to change and, and change dramatically. I suppose this would be a side question now, but if you had to put a number on it or a number of years, Matt and Roddy, how long do you think uh, it's going to take to Plateau. You mean the hard market? The hard market, yeah. And the actual trends is what we're seeing now as in capacity shrinking and obviously rates going through the roof. In my experience, hard markets last for three or four years. And soft markets are usually 13 to 15 years. And what's the trend to, to come? What, 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 yeah, what is the trend from transitioning between a hard and a soft, is it increased capacity, i.e. another syndicate or another insurance company that steps into the space? Yeah, so so people recognized at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, that the business they were writing was not profitable and hadn't been profitable for a long time. So prices started moving in 2019. This year, they've moved even further. And I think 2021 is where they could really peak. 2022, they'll probably be maintained. And then you'll start getting a lot of people coming in saying, wow, look at the money they're making. Um, and so you'll start probably to see some softening around 
2023, where you just get more players coming into the market, more competition, and premiums will start to drop. And they'll start to drop, you know, just a little 10%, that sort of thing. But it soon gets ahead of steam up, and then you can get into cycles where almost every renewal you're dropping the price by a third. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all. That was really great. So now we are going to go ahead and go to our sponsor, who is... This episode's champion giving a voice to the industry is CRC Group. CRC is the second largest wholesale property and casualty insurance distributor in the United States, writing over $8 billion in premium annually and more than 70 offices nationwide. CRC operates three specialized divisions, commercial solutions, group and individual solutions, and specialty programs, each with brands to solve nearly every PNC insurance need. CRC is always working to develop new innovative products for all types of risks by partnering with the best carrier and MGA partners in the wholesale business. Check them out at crcgroup.com. Matt, would you be able to set, to shed some light on how many young professionals in the U.S. are encouraged to become underwriters before becoming a broker? Do you recommend this path? Great question, Claire. I totally agree that uh, learning the technical side from the underwriting standpoint is a fantastic way to start an insurance career for a, a lot of young professionals, right? It gives you the opportunity to learn the technical side of insurance while still kind of developing your relationships and your sales side. But if you have that technical base of really knowing what goes into providing coverage and an insurance policy, it only makes you a better broker down the road. So there's no, there's, I think it's only positives, right? If you start your underwriting career uh, or start your insurance career on the underwriting side, like I did, I said, I was fortunate. So, and if you could do it, you know, two, three, four, five years, right? Doing it one or two years, probably not enough time. It really is going to take you, you know, 36, 48, you know, 60 months or so to really have a good grasp of how the technical side of putting an insurance policy together really works. And then going out, being able to sell it, right? And being the sales and the broker side. So it's, uh, you know, I was fortunate and I, I do recommend and that everybody should have either start their career or spend a little time, right, uh, being being the underwriter and being the, the taker of risk, right, assuming the risk. So it makes you just more well-rounded and seeing the, uh, the, the larger picture from a real, like, macroeconomic standpoint. Thank you. Thank you. With the Lloyds of London marketplace being the land of the three C's, as Roddy was explaining, would you all be able to tell us one of the most difficult or interesting risks that you've had to place? I'm sure a lot of the folks right listening to this have probably seen or ridden an electric scooter. Mobility or micro-mobility is what it's now kind of getting referred to as, right? Lime, bird, jump, spin. You're talking to one of the one of the brokers and uh, who works on a day to day basis with one of the markets in London, one of our syndicate partners that uh, is the lead insurer on shared economy and, and this kind of uh, emerging new transportation stuff, rideshare. So, you know, getting to see and place insurance around scooters, right, that are parked on sidewalks and streets all over the U.S. and you know now all over Europe, 
right, is a uh, is a new challenge to ensure of something that, uh, you know, just three, four, five years ago was never around in the first place. So that one's a pretty good one. So when I was growing up in Lloyd's, I, I worked in lots of different uh, markets before I specialized in financial lines. And the marketplace that always threw up the most interesting and amusing risks was the bloodstock and livestock market. Your listeners probably won't believe it, but I remember insuring a parrot, uh, somebody's pet parrot. Uh, I remember insuring a gorilla in transit being moved from one zoo to another. I've insured the sperm of racehorses, stallions, uh, all sorts of weird and wonderful things in the, the bloodstock and livestock market. But probably the most challenging risk uh, that I had to place was in the late 1990s, Lloyds of London lost an awful lot of money, hundreds of millions on extended warranty coverage. And around that time, I was asked to arrange a program uh, for members of the Good Sam Club, which is America's largest RV membership club. And I had no idea what uh, extended warranty cover really was about. And I didn't have much idea what an RV was, to be honest. We don't have very many of those in the UK. But simply because of my reputation, I was asked to handle it. And it was some, it was a project that probably took me about a year to get the program, uh, off the ground. And there were times, many times when I thought we'll never get this done because nobody in London will have much appetite for extended warranty after all the losses. But eventually we did get it done, and it still remains a client of, uh, of Lloyd's today. So if you're a member of the Good Sam Club and you drive an RV, there's a reasonable chance that you buy our product. I've placed uh, a number of religious organizations in Lloyd's for the sexual molestation liability and it could be a case of a five million dollar contractor requirement or the insurer cannot cannot get coverage uh, under their geo policy for for love nor money the reason why is because of previous claims activity which again as i said is the highlight of Lloyd's appetite but again yeah those claims for for sml as we call it for a church uh, is not pretty, and it's not a pretty sight to read with an underwriter that's sitting no less than a meter away from you. So there's no hiding. There's no uh, you can't really dress those claims up. They are what they are, and they are uh, extremely tough to place, but they can be done. Well, thank you all for letting us know about that. Um, I do have a question off script, and I'd love to hear your opinions on it. So, because of COVID, Lloyd's is obviously just starting to go back into the office. And I was wondering how the last couple of months have been not being able to address the claims one-on-one, -on -one, like you mentioned, Dan, with it, with the underwriter directly. Uh, I suppose I can just jump straight back in there. It's extremely tough, extremely tough. So it's a lot harder than I ever imagined it would be. And there's different avenues that you sit to yourself and you, and you think about yourself while you're in the office. How am I going to make a play for this one? How am I going to dress it up? What's the remedial action? What's the insured done? Why is the insured such a good right on the go forward? But you want to read someone's body language, being a Lloyd's underwriter's body language, and, and sitting there face to face, trying to do it over an MS Teams call 
or a Zoom call or even worse, mobile or, or email, is all but going 3 nil down at half time uh, and you need to win 4-3 to get through to the next round. The, the, the chips are against you completely and it, it's unbelievably tough. I think our listeners should know that that was a soccer analogy that uh, yeah. Dan was putting in there. Cheers, Roddy. Lloyd's brokers are used to negotiating where, wherever and whenever possible in a face-to-face manner with their underwriters, whether it is negotiating renewal terms or whether it is negotiating the settlement of a claim. We like to do those things face-to-face, and it is one of the unique selling points of the market. So being in lockdown has been very frustrating because the underwriters can more easily hide from us by hiding behind their computer screens and their laptops. And that isn't normally the case. Normally they're in the building and we can find them very easily. So, yeah, it's it's been trying. But overall, I would say the market has acted very responsibly and tried to make sure that the customers have always been put first. So I've been quite encouraged by the sort of collegiate approach to getting things done in lockdown that, that we've seen. That's definitely an encouraging perspective. Thank you both. So just to round out our call today, do you have any tips or words of wisdom for the future leaders of insurance listening in today? Yes, become an investment banker and make a lot of money. <laughs> the, 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 uh, I mean, tips or words of wisdom from me would be take care of yourself physically. It's a long road. The insurance industry is a marathon, not a sprint. So keep yourself physically fit. Um, and if you really want to separate yourself from the, the pack, specialize and become technically very advanced in a particular type of business. I would always say that is, is the, the way to progress, to, to become a specialist and become one of the best in whatever class of business you decide to go into. Yeah, I echo uh, Roddy's comments there regarding being a specialist for sure. And I think that's something that's always been been drilled into me since starting working for Roddy is become a specialist, get to know the product better than your competitor, and you won't go far wrong. All good points. One thing I would add too, right, for all the young people listening, right, once you get into your your new found insurance profession, right? The best thing you can do immediately in your firm or organization is is find a mentor. Find somebody that will take the time to to teach you uh some of the stuff that he or she learned when they were going through, you know, their situation, right? At at their age, at their same level in their career. So, you know, just really soak up that knowledge, right, from somebody who just uh you know, can really give you a day-to-day insight and be a good sounding board, right? And then they help you progress, right? And then by the time your insurance career has progressed to that 25, 30, 35 year, you know, then it's time for you to pay it forward and um, and mentor somebody else. So, right, that's how it really, really works. And, and you see a lot of benefit of that. So that was, you know, one of the good things that uh, I would definitely say. I was lucky enough to find two really good mentors one on the underwriting side from my career and one on the uh, on the broking side. And uh, both of those folks I'm indebted to a lot 
for uh, what they've taught me right over my you know 15, 16 years of doing this so far. Yeah, good point, Andrew. So thank you all for joining us today, Roddy, Matt, and Dan. It's really been great hearing the insights that you've all had into the state of the market and exciting careers. And it's it's really great to have you all on. For our listeners, look out for additional content from Risk and Reward premiering soon. We will announce new episodes through our Instagram at GIS Butler, Butler's Gamma Iota Sigma LinkedIn page, and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as the National Alliance's website, scic.com. Stay interested and interesting. We'll see you soon. Thank you.